to Hebrews chapter 13 this morning. Sunday morning we're studying the book of Hebrews together. And if you're with us this morning and you don't have a Bible, there are men coming up the aisles right now with Bibles. Just wave to them. Get their attention. They'll give you a Bible this morning and so you can read along. And then please, if you don't own a Bible, make that Bible a gift from the Lord today. He wants everyone to have his word, to read his word, to know his word. And so we do as well. And it will be a great blessing in your life, more than we could ever describe. Hebrews chapter 13, two verses. Verses 15 and 16, the Holy Spirit declares, Therefore by him, that is Jesus, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Now let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for what is bound up in these verses that all of us need to hear in order for our relationship with you to be as complete as you want it to be and as rich and as full as you want it to be. And Lord, we pray for those that stand before you right now that haven't yet trusted in Jesus for salvation, that today would be the day that they would recognize your voice as their creator and your call to them to come into your family and to be saved, and that they would do that today. We pray for that miracle in their lives. We pray for your presence to continue to be strong in our midst today now as we study your word, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. The book of Hebrews was written to a group of Jewish Christians who had come to put their faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. They had received everlasting life and had begun a personal relationship with God. But these particular Christians, these Hebrew Christians, found it necessary to leave a religious system in order to become saved. And that's true of the largest portion of the world that we live in today. We live in a world that is predominantly religious. The Western world is very uh, secular humanism, very much sex, drugs, rock and roll, license, these kind of things. But the Western world is not the whole world, and it's not even remotely a majority in the world. Most of the world, and a lot of the world, even in the Western world, is a religious world. Uh, People believe in God. People uh, are a part of religious systems. But unfortunately, there's an awful lot of stuff that is man-made or man-made religious systems where it is necessary in order for a person to trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and to begin a relationship with God, they will find it necessary to leave a religious system in order to hear that good news, and then they will need to leave a religious system in order to be faithful in walking with God and serving God. And that's the position that these Jewish Christians had found themselves in. They found it necessary to leave 
a very misguided Judaism at the time in which religious men had basically turned the Old Testament, that is the law and the prophets, into something that God had never intended. They took the Old Testament, which is also known as the law and the prophets. Those are the two largest groups of the Old Testament. They had taken the law and the prophets and the 613 laws that are found in the law of Moses, and they had interpreted it to mean that if a person kept these laws more or less, more rather than less, that if we did that in a good human effort, that we could make ourselves acceptable through religious works and through human effort. We could make ourselves acceptable to God and that we could earn our way uh, into heaven on the basis of works and human uh, effort, that that would be good enough to get us in. But God never gave the law of Moses for that reason or for that purpose. He gave the law of Moses principally for two entirely different reasons. The first reason he gave the law of Moses, the law and prophets, the Old Testament, was in order that Old Testament saints could obey God's word and obey God's word as an expression of their faith in the coming Messiah that God had promised to send into the world. How could we express an Old Testament saint express their faith in God and the coming of his Messiah, what better way, short of the Messiah having come, which is our better portion, but what better way than to say, Lord, we know that you are sending a Savior into the world to provide us with the forgiveness of sins. We believe that, and so we choose to obey your word and honor you and glorify you while we wait for that Messiah to be introduced into human history. Second, God introduced the law and the prophets, the Old Testament and the law of Moses, in order to keep his people separated from wickedness and sin in the world, in order that in keeping those laws, that they would be a distinctive world, uh, people in an unholy world, a holy people in an unholy world. There's always the danger, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. The world is so wicked, it's so powerful, it's so sin-dominated, that if we did not have something that was radically different from man's ideas then and, and God's law to obey, that we would become exactly like the world around us and ultimately be absorbed by the same sin and wickedness that dominates the world. And so the law and the teachings of the Old Testament kept, kept God's people a distinctive group of people in the world so that those that didn't know the Lord could look at their lives and say, that's different. That's a different kind of human being than my world is producing. It's a superior human being. And that's attractive to me. I'm going to search out who it is and what it is that they are worshiping so that I can then worship that same God and enjoy the quality of life that I see in them. The law of Moses, far from being intended by God as a means for us to keep and ultimately in keeping it, 
find ourselves in heaven is actually given in order to uh, reveal or expose sin in our life. Nobody can keep the 613 laws and the law of Moses. We can't even keep the Ten Commandments. Yes, somebody say, they're going, are you going to heaven? Yes, I'm going to heaven. On what basis? The keeping of the Ten Commandments. Come here, come here, come here, come here. Why are you don't keep the Ten Commandments. Nobody has ever kept the Ten Commandments. Jesus is the only one who ever kept the Ten Commandments, let alone the other 603 that went with the Ten Commandments. So the law of Moses exposes us as sinners and it causes us to realize that getting to heaven on the basis of keeping law, even God's law, or on the basis of human effort is never going to happen. And so it keeps us looking then for what is the way we can have the hope of heaven, which of course is to put our faith in the coming Messiah. Not so much coming for us. Jesus came 2,000 years ago, but he's coming once again. But it's found in faith in Christ. But the Jewish religious leaders had turned the whole law upside down to, to, and, and they were teaching it uh, to be the exact opposite of what God had uh, gave the law of Moses for. And Jesus encapsulated all of this when he declared to the Jewish religious leaders of his day, he said, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have everlasting life. That is the idea of keeping them, that you can gain everlasting life. And then he went on to say, but these are they which testify of me. The volume of the book from Genesis to Revelation speak of Christ. It speaks of Jesus, our need to be saved, and of God's provision for our need in his Son. So these Jewish Christians, they have gone from a lifetime invested in a religion that was filled with ceremony and ritual and sacrifices, as the old saying goes, filled with bells and smells, and there is something attractive about that. And they go from all of this ritual, all of this pageantry, all of the sacrifices and the holy buildings and the holy priests and all of this structure and all, and they come to, as we saw last week, to Jesus being the altar, to Jesus being the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, the law, the sacrifice, the feast. He is the fulfillment of all of it. And as a result, they left, they were left, they, they leave all of this, uh, the, the temple, the priests, the sacrifices, the incense, all of the offerings and all. They leave this very elaborate kind of religious system and then they find themselves left as a result of their faith in Christ with something very, very simple, their own personal relationship with God. Something infinitely better than what they've left, but very, very different. And so their old friends were trying to draw them back into the old ways by basically saying, what in the world do you have in comparison to us? Look at what you've left. For what? Where are your priests? Where is your temple? Where are your sacrifices? You only have this relationship with uh, Jesus. How can that compete with what we have and with what you've left? And so for 13 chapters in the book of Hebrew, the writer has supplied them with the answer to their tempters. 
All that you have here is the priests and the, uh, the, the, you, uh, and where we can speak to them and say, all that you have of priests and mediators and sacrifices and temple and more is found in our relationship with Jesus. Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is our sacrifice. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus, because of his shed blood, has not He has made us the temple of the Holy Spirit, where God Almighty in the person of the Holy Spirit indwells. And here the writer reminds them, and he reminds us that as Christians, we don't lack sacrifices that we offer to God. And then he proceeds to tell us the sacrifices that we do offer to God as Christians in the New Covenant. And he tells us first in verse 15 that we offer to God the sacrifice of praise. And then second in verse 16, as unto the Lord we do good to others and we share with others. And that God is pleased with those two sacrifices. In other words, that's how our love for Jesus can be manifested or expressed to him. Now, let's begin in verse 15 with this offering of the sacrifice of praise to God. It's one of the sacrifices we offer to God. And this is speaking of our worship of the Lord, our praise to the Lord. And I like how the Holy Spirit describes it there in verse 15. It is the fruit of of our lips. And just as the fruit will always reveal the root of the tree, or the fruit will always reveal what kind of tree the tree is, or the nature of the tree, so too the desire to worship God and to praise God reveals something about the the fact that we are living a healthy healthy living relationship with the lord the fact that we long to praise god, god that we do praise god reveals the fact of, of, of it reveals something about our innards about what is inside of us who we are what we are at our core let me put it this way. My wife and I were talking a little bit about this this morning. And um, Karen, she came to church. She attended Calvary Chapel of Napa for four months before she ultimately surrendered her life to the Lord and became a Christian, trusted in Jesus. And um, she would come and she would sit in the service and uh, there was a man in that church on the Sunday morning. He would come and he would play the piano. And that's how the worship was led, on the piano. And so she thought to herself, well, at least it's not an organ. It's a piano. And she would sit and listen to what was going on. So for four months, she was a spectator in the room. And then one night, one of my friends, he was an elder in the church, called her just checking in on people in the church, and he prayed with her to receive the Lord, and at that moment, everything changed. And what she had just sat through, not understanding what in the world is going on here, looking and listening to the music, watching him play, watching what's going on in the room, all of that changed in an instant. And now her eyes close, and she begins to praise the Lord out 
of her relationship with God. What, what changed? It was the fruit of an indication that inside she became something entirely different. And that's what worship, that's what happens in worship. And people who worship the Lord and give Him praise, and the fact that we have a need to do this, and we do do this, reveals that something dramatic has changed in our lives that makes us different from everyone else in the world. The world doesn't have a a longing to worship the Lord the way that we do. They don't have the capacity for it. And so it is the fruit of our lips and evidence that there is something healthy and living going on in terms of our relationship with the Lord. Jesus taught, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks And so this great thing that God has done inside of us, there's a need to express it. Whatever is is abundant in our heart is going to come out of our mouths. And I say, praise the Lord for sanctified hearts and then sanctified lips. Some of you, I mean, if anyone had told you that one day you would be going to church, uh, you'd have thought they were crazy. If they'd have told you further that you would go to church and you would sing, you'd have told them they were crazier still. And if they'd have told you that you were going to go to church and you were going to sing and you were going to sing to God, you'd have just dismissed them as an insane person not worthy of being your friend. And yet here you are in this place worshiping the Lord and praising uh, the Lord. God has got a lot of surprises for us in life, doesn't he? And the reason that you do it is you could never have understood yourself doing it earlier in life because you didn't have the insides. And once the inside occurs, the Holy Spirit comes into your life, now there's a need to do it, to worship and to praise him. Not just a capacity to do it, but a need to do it. I have a friend, and I've known him for decades now, uh, and in fact, he's the man that led my wife to the Lord. And he's the, just one of the kindest, nicest, blessed Christians you could ever know. And yet, he would readily confess that before he became a Christian, he said, I was the worst cusser this side of the Mississippi. And he worked in the Navy on subs, so I believed it. And uh, so uh, that, that was what he said. I mean, just in terms of the change that God made in his life, what used to spew out of his mouth. Now he could be a rap star or a hip-hop artist or something like that. Isn't it funny? You, you know, I mean, we all know what swearing is around in the culture. Back then, we're talking decades back then, it was a little more, you know, foreign. Now you can't go anywhere. If I talk with somebody for longer than two minutes and they don't swear, I assume they're a Christian or a Mormon. <laughs> it just dominates the whole culture the way that it is. It's become very, very profane. But that's what he said about himself. If this man were to sit down and pray with you, and you say, listen, would you pray with me? Every single time he prays, he begins his prayers always with praise and worship of God. Before he ever gets to the need. God, I thank you. God, we worship you. We praise you for who you are. We thank you, Lord, for your faith. And he's going to, he's always goes there. 
and how his lips are being used now, entirely different from how they were once used. And that's how God can change a life. And I, I've praised the Lord for a lot of things in the Christian life, but what God allows us to do in terms of human speech and how he sanctifies the heart and then the mouth and now our lips and our our tongues are set aside for sanctified, holy purposes. And the most holy use of speech all has to do with the Lord in lifting up praise and worship to him, in lifting up prayer to him, in sharing the gospel with someone who's never heard the gospel before. And I think some of us, and I'm certainly one of them, can think about all of the nonsense and far worse that came out of our mouths during those years before we became Christians, and now how thankful we are that these same lips have been sanctified by God, and now they can be used to bless Him and to please Him. Well, what in the world is worship? How does God view our worship? To worship is to ascribe worth to someone or to something. That's what worship is. Our English word worship comes from an old English word that means worth-ship. And when we worship God, we do so because we recognize that He is worthy of our worship. It's interesting to realize that the Greek word that is used most often for uh, worship the, the, is translated, the English word worship in the New Testament is proskuneo. And it comes from two words. Number one, one word means pros, means toward, kuneo means to kiss. And so to worship God means to lean toward him, to kiss him. In other words, worship and praise as we lift that up to the Lord is one of the ways that God has given us by which we can express our, our love and express our affection toward him. I want you to notice too in this great verse on worship that that verse 15 begins with the word therefore. And here, here we're given the reasons why we worship and we praise the Lord. The word therefore is a reason word. It's going to give us reasons for uh, whatever it is that's just been discussed in a particular uh, passage. And so that word therefore in verse 15 ties it to the verses that immediately precede it. And and all that precedes it is is this great revelation related to God, who he is, what he is, what he has done for us in Christ. So our worship is twofold. We worship God for who he is and what he is. If he did nothing for us, he is still worthy of our praise and of our worship. And so we worship him for who he is. You notice the verse speaks of giving thanks to his name. In this culture, we give somebody a name so that when we uh, holler out the front door for the kiddo to come for dinner, it differentiates him from all the other kids in the neighborhood. And so it's kind of a label, and it doesn't have a lot more meaning than that unless somebody's named after someone significant in our lives. 
But the, a name was a significant thing, uh, biblically. And a name always represented a person, and it always represented the nature of that person. And so when we praise the Lord, and, and we are praising Him for His nature, for his character, who he is, what he is. I'll give you an example of it, Psalm 113. The psalmist writes, Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore, from the rising of the sun to its going down. The Lord's name is to be praised. And so we worship him for his name, who he is. But second, we also worship him for what he does and how he blesses us and what he's done for us. And the greatest thing that he's done for us, as the earlier verses indicate that we saw last week, is he has provided us with Jesus. Who is better than the prophets? Who is better than the angels? Who is better than Moses? Who is better than Joshua? Who is a better high priest than Aaron? And on and on he goes. And further than that, who is willing to be born into this world to ultimately die on the cross for our sins in order to sanctify us, to forgive us of our sins, and then make someone like you or me positionally holy enough to have a relationship with God. And on top of that, the Bible teaches, he daily loads us with his benefits, food and clothing and shelter and the needs that we have in our lives. When a person is blessed in the way that a Christian is blessed by our Heavenly Father, we have a need to worship Him, and we have a need to thank Him, and we count it a privilege to do that. It's a privilege to worship Him for who He is and what He's done for us. And I'd like us to notice, too, is that we're to worship the Lord continually. And you notice that word continually in the verse. Why are we called to worship Him continually? Because all of these things are continually ours. God never changes. We never have to worry that we're going to wake up one day and He's going to be different than He was yesterday. Or see me different than He did yesterday. God never changes. His promises are always true. So there's always, every single day in my life, equal reason for giving him equal praise because who he is and what he is never changes and his faithfulness to his promises in our lives never change as well. And we can praise the Lord at any time. We praise him during the worship services. And that's an important part of our worship service. And part of what we're doing here today used to be, you know, people went to church sometimes, a handful of times, maybe in their childhood, and they understood a little bit about what's going on. But you may be here today. This is the first church you've ever come to in your whole life. And you sat through all that singing. You say, what in the world was that all about? And, and God's explaining it to you uh, today. And so it's this wonderful education on things. Or maybe you've been to church lots of times but never understood, oh, that's why they do that. 
Uh, God likes that. God calls them to do that. They have a need to do that. But we can worship the Lord at any time during the worship service. You can worship the Lord while we're driving in our car. We can worship the Lord during our devotional lives. Just head out into a worship song being lifted up to him. Walking along the canals, we can praise the Lord. Just begin to sing to him. You say, somebody might hear. It's one of the great things about becoming older. You don't care. You think they're hearing something better than someone worshiping the Lord in that house that backs up to the canal? I forget who it was, one of the great and famous preachers of the past ended up getting saved because he walked by the back fence of a house where a woman was in the back gardening or doing something and was praying and worshiping the Lord and he was so impacted by the authenticity of it and what she had with God that he became a Christian too. This powerful stuff. And so we can worship the Lord anywhere. You can be in a home fellowship, and maybe there's that block of time that's given now to let's just spend some time in prayer. And the Lord puts a prompting on your heart to sing a song out loud. And so you begin to sing that song, and others begin to join in and sing it. Always obey that prompting. Always obey that prompting. When the Lord brings an old hymn back to your remembrance, like one that we sang this morning, or some other kind of a chorus, it's fascinating. You can be in the shower, you can be driving to work, you can be going to pick up the kids, you can be in all kinds of places in life. God will put us, bring a song to your remembrance, you begin to worship the Lord with it. And it's fabulous to just stop and think about what it is that you're singing to the Lord. Because he put that on your heart. For some reason, he wants to hear that from you right now. And for some reason, you and I have a need to say that to God. And oftentimes, if we will stop and consider the songs that he puts on our heart to sing to him, he's speaking through that psalm, that song that we're singing to him, something that is an answer to a prayer that we've been asking. He's revealing something of himself through it. So this is all very, very powerful stuff. Always obey that prompting to sing out to the Lord. Now, when you do it in a home fellowship, uh, sometimes you've got to count the cost and say, I think I might be the only one who knows this song. Still do it, but be prepared to sing it all alone. (laughs) Most of the time you'll sing something God wants it to be sung. He'll touch other people's hearts. They'll join in and it'll be a blessing to them as well. Any time is a good time to worship the Lord. And anywhere is a good place to worship the Lord. Just lifting up our hearts to the Lord and just saying, Lord, I bless you for who you are, what you are. You've been so good to me in Christ. You've been so good to me every day of my life. You've been so faithful. You've loved me. You've taken care of me. You've pulled me up when I I've stumbled and slipped and dusted me off and had grace for all of it. I just give you praise and I worship you. And it blesses his heart. Notice that we offer, that word offer is used in the verse. We offer this worship in praise to the Lord. In other words, it's voluntary what we do. You can sing or not sing. I can sing or not sing. I can worship or not worship. 
The fact that we do it is, means that it's voluntary. And the fact that it is voluntary is what makes it meaningful to God. Is that we don't have to do it. He doesn't put us in a headlock and force us. But because we do it, it blesses him. Imagine if you've got, here you've got the dad who's head of the household here, and then the mom's bringing the kid to the, one of the children to the dad and says, now listen, you know, talk to your dad, or, you know, is exhorting them or scolding them to talk to the dad. How meaningful is that conversation going to be to the dad that somebody has to put the child up to it? in order to have it happen. Well, it wouldn't be meaningful if we were forced into it. It's because we offer it that it means so much to God. That's why when our worship teams come out to lead us in worship, they don't scold us to worship the Lord. You call that worship? They don't constrain us. Come on now, get those hands all the way up. You got them down here. That's half mass. That's a sign somebody died. You got a resurrected Lord. Get those hands up there now. <laughs> Start to rebuke us and all guilt us into worshiping the Lord or manipulating us. They just come out and they lead us in worship. There's something pure about it. They just give us the opportunity to worship the Lord. And they assume the need is in our heart to worship the Lord. And they give us that opportunity to worship Him. And they represent worship for the great privilege that it is. I imagine if God were having to listen to worship leaders scold or exhort the congregation to worship him. How meaningful would that worship be to God, this forced, strained, constrained worship? Well, it wouldn't be very meaningful at all. And worship is a privilege for us. And for the Lord, it's a blessing because we offer it willingly to him. And it's amazing to realize that when we worship the Lord, that our worship ascends into heaven, spiritually speaking, ascends into heaven like an incense, and it blesses Him. And that's important to realize as we, as we worship Him in song and we sing these worship songs, to be focused on what it is that we're saying. So it's not like this mindless thing that's just going on, but we focus on what it is that we're saying to the Lord. And with that kind of sincerity, that's just like a prayer that goes up to the Lord and is fragrant for Him. It brings Him pleasure. It blesses uh, blesses him, and it's good to realize that. I think also it's important because of the culture that we live in to, to be reminded, as the Holy Spirit does here, that our worship is to God, and he, and he speaks of it there. He says, therefore, by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. In other words, worship is supremely for God. And not for me. Now, it's it's supremely it, it, it's supremely for the purpose of blessing God, and not supremely for the purpose of blessing me. It blesses me because you can never outgive God. 
They'll never allow it to happen. And it blesses me because you and I have been created to bring him pleasure and to worship him. But supremely, worship is lifted up and directed supremely for him, supremely to bless him and not to bless us. And our culture, because it's so self-centered and so self-dominated, it can get it backwards and that can carry itself right into our worship of the Lord. And we can become so self-centered that we can even sing the worship songs, not with any thought as to how they bless God, but with supremely how they make me feel. So somebody says, well, how was the worship today as you're departing the church between services? Oh, worship was good this morning. Why? Oh, it made me feel good. I like those songs. Or somebody says, no, the worship wasn't that great today. Why? I didn't care for the songs. They didn't really do that much for me. But how much did God like them? Did they say what he wanted to hear from from our hearts today? Oh, I hadn't thought about that. And it's a good thing to think about. Worship is a blessing to the Lord. The Bible says when we worship him with a sincere heart. In other words, we mean the things that we're saying to him. Jesus said that God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. It's meaningful as I, it's only meaningful as my heart is connected with what it is that I am lifting up to the Lord. I think that that recognition of the fact that sincerity in worship is supremely important to the Lord is nice for some of us to know uh, that it's the sincerity that matters most and not the quality of our voice. (laughs) You don't have to worry if you don't sing very well. The quality of your voice isn't the issue. It's the fact that it is expressing your heart to the Lord. I remember when I was a brand new Christian and um, I was in the Calvary Chapel in Napa there and, uh, and you know, worshiping the Lord. And I, I was so thanked, thankful to be saved. I'm even more thankful now. But they sang those worship songs, and I just belted them out. I mean, I just sang those songs with all of my heart because I was completely engaged and what those songs were saying to God. I just I couldn't believe that he would save me. And that he was the God that I was learning that he was. And so they had a part in the service kind of like ours a little bit on the Sunday morning. Where they would do two or three worship songs. And then you would take a minute or so to say hi to the people that sat around you. And, and all. And then the service would proceed on to other things. And so I remember one time they did that. We're all standing and we're greeting. And the guy that was sitting in the pew right in front of me turns around and said hi to me. And 
And he uh, said to me, boy, you must really love the Lord. And I realized it was because I was singing right into the back of his head with probably the worst voice in the whole church, but I didn't care. And he figured anybody that didn't care with a lousy voice like that to sing that loud to the Lord must really love the Lord. And I'll tell you, he was right. Now, today I'm a very accomplished singer. It's a blessing to sit in the seat immediately in front of me during the worship service now. But it wasn't always so. I just want you to know that. Most of us aren't great singers, but God still wants us to worship him, and he loves to hear our praise. It's the heart. It's not the voice. Now, let me add also that God is worthy of our praise no matter how I might be feeling. I really love the phrase in verse 15, the phrase, the sacrifice of praise. Ever come into a church service and you just say, I don't feel like worshiping. You say, I don't feel like singing that song to the Lord. Or the Lord puts a song on your heart to sing to him and you say, I don't feel like that. I'm going to do it. We don't say it. I mean, we want to say it with words. We just... It's just this thing that's on us, and we're, we're just not going to do it because of our, our frame of mind or our emotional condition at the moment. And sometimes there's a sacrifice that's involved in worship and in praise. So I don't care how I feel. I don't care how my work week has been. I don't care what people have done to me. I don't care how self-dominated I am at the moment. This God that I know and that I love is worthy of my praise every time praise of him is going on. And as a sacrifice of praise, I'm going to worship him and to join in. Sometimes, you know, we do different songs. Um, the worship team does. And they'll run all of them. The ones that ultimately we sing... I'm a part of the approval process on them, so you can blame me on it. So we got to, we, you screen through the song. Some songs are so full of I, me, and my that it's the worship of self. Could it, did anybody ever think of throwing a little God into this song? No, that's out. Forget it. We're not singing that song. So sometimes there aren't as many songs available as you might sometimes think. But sometimes I'll approve a song, I listen to it, and I'll just, it almost never has anything to do with the music. My concern is with the words, with content. Does it say, does it say something that we have a need to say to God? And then I'm, I'm going to approve that. But not every song knocks me out. But I'll approve songs and I just think, well, a different personality or a different way that other personalities relate to God and all. They'll enjoy that song and I want them to enjoy that song. And so, yes, let's approve it. It meets the biblical standard and then let's do it. And so then when the worship team plays those songs that don't particularly resonate necessarily for me, what do I do? I sit in the back <laughs> singing that song. That's for somebody else in this room, but that's not for me. And they don't do enough hymns around here as far as I'm concerned, I'll tell you. And they do too many, I'll tell you like that. So I'm just going to sit this out. I never sit a song out. I do have trouble with that one song that talks about me being a tree and God being a hurricane. I do struggle with that line. 
I'll just go into my prayer language for 10 seconds. But I sing them to the Lord because He's worthy of the praise. And He's worthy of our praise and our worship even when it requires sacrifice. And I'm being silly. That requires no sacrifice. You know in the more serious way that even when it requires sacrifice to praise Him, that He is still worthy of our praise. And it makes our praise and our worship even more meaningful to Him when we do that in times like that. Never sit through a worship service reading your bulletin. Don't do that. Or putting your shopping list together, thinking about Costco and whatever they're going to give you on a toothpick in the aisles for free on the thing. Just never do that. One day, when you get to heaven and you see where your praise had the potential to go. And to see Jesus face to face and to cast your crown before the Father who is on his throne in that heavenly scene and you realize I missed a whole lifetime of being a part of that in blessing his heart before I got to heaven, you won't want that to happen to you. Even whatever the sacrifice that is required to give him the praise and the worship and the honor and the glory that he is due when he is being worshipped, then we ought to offer that sacrifice to him. In Psalm 63, verse 4, David declared that worshiping God can include not only the joyful lips, but even raised hands. He said, that's why I praise you while I live. I will lift up my hands to in your name. My souls shall be satisfied with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. And so praise and worship can involve joyful lips. It also involves raised hands. And I think that's good to know. It's biblical. It was a little weird to me, those raised hands. When I was new to church, I, when I came to Calvary Chapel, Napa, I'd been to a church earlier in my life, so I knew what singing to God was about and what worship was about. But people raising hands and stuff like that, I hadn't seen that before. So I come into that church service, and there's people that are starting to raise their hands as their worship is going on. You ever seen those little geckos or lizards with they can do the eyes can go all over here? So this person's raising their hand over here, so I got one eye over here and another one's doing that over here. Because I'm wondering what are they gonna do next? I didn't know what what might happen. And then the I got baptized in the Holy Spirit and stopped looking at everybody else and just closed my eyes and began to worship the Lord and all the distractions disappear, and I found that there were those certain parts of a song, maybe a whole song, but certain parts of a song where 
what I was saying with my lips, I wanted to say with more than my lips. I wanted my worship to include my body, or as David said, my hands. But I was a a lineman and a cable splicer for the phone company. It was a big deal for me to be in church, and it was a big deal for me to be singing these songs. I am not raising my hands, or so I thought. But the need to worship the Lord is so great, the truth that's being sung. My heart is so grateful toward Him that any way that there's this prompting of the Spirit inside of you, and I just, and then I found myself, and I'd open my hands on my lap just like that. Nobody else could see it. God, you see it. That's as high as it needs to go. God's so patient. I mean, the steps that He takes us through. And then pretty soon you're raising your hands up to the Lord. Why? Because there's something the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in you is bearing witness to the new man, the inner man, what's going on between you and God, where you want everything to praise Him. And so the lifting up of hands. And that's what you see when you see people lift up their hands or you see them stand in worship. That's the dynamic. That's what's happening between them and the Lord. And so there's no need to be shocked by it or wonder what in the world is it that, that they're doing sometimes when you're new to a church. That's what's happening in their life. It just the words can't express it anymore, and they want to express their heart to God even beyond the words. And I think we really want to be sensitive to the prompting of the Holy Spirit in our worship experience individually. And if the Lord ever speaks to you in your heart during worship to stand, you should stand. If he tells you to raise your hands, you should raise your hands. Whatever he wants from you at that moment, it blesses him, but it's good for you too. And just to give that to him. Nobody will be embarrassed of any of that one day when we're in heaven. No need to be embarrassed of it now. It's such a rich part of our Christian life. And so God is so good to us. He's been so good to us. And he knew that we would have a need to worship him. He knew that if he was the kind of God that he is, and he was going to bless his children the way that he did, that if we didn't have a means by which to praise him and to worship him and give him thanks, we'd blow up. Imagine if there was no worship in the Christian life. It's unthinkable to us. What if there was no outlet back to God? in the form of praise and worship. You see, my Christian life would be half what it is, at least half what it is. It's a great privilege and blessing that God has given us this thing called praise and worship to direct to Him. Now let me close literally in a minute or two on this final encouragement in verse 16 where he tells us the second way we can sacrifice to the Lord in a way that will bless his heart is by doing good. Now he talks about what we do with others. And this doing good refers to um, expending time or expending effort to help another person in the name of the Lord. 
And then there is, he tells us, by sharing. And this refers to sharing something material with a person. It can be a tank of gas. It can be money. It can be groceries. It can be a lot of different things where we do that as unto the Lord. And he tells us, again, these promptings of the Holy Spirit and all of this, he tells us that as we do that, God views that as sacrifice and he views it as worship and it pleases him. It blesses him. It blesses the person we do it for, but it also blesses God. Have you ever had this experience where God prompts you to do something for another person? or to give something materially to another person. And you do that as under the Lord. You walk away from the experience, and then what happens? You're having an afterglow with the Lord. And the Lord speaks to your heart, and he says, I saw that. That blessed me. I liked that. And he doesn't say it with words. It's what you've experienced between you and him as a result of doing that for his glory. And the danger, he tells us in the verse, is forgetfulness. And I think it's good to ask ourselves here this morning, not as a guilt gotcha and say, oh, I knew he'd hammer us somewhere along the line. No. But it's just good for us to ask ourselves, when's the last time I did something good for another person in the name of the Lord that required time and it required energy? And I did it as unto the Lord. Or when's the last time I shared materially with another person out of the prompting of the Holy Spirit? And the Holy Spirit brings it up here because we can forget so easily about this way of expressing our love and our thanks to God. God has given us a finite number of means by which we can worship him and praise him. And he doesn't want us to miss out on experiencing any of those ways and means, including worship with our lips, but also including worship and sacrifice that involves in serving others in the name of the Lord. These sacrifices, he says, they bring pleasure to the Lord. And if you sit here this morning and you are not yet a Christian, this whole, all of this, and so much more opens up to you by just simply recognizing your need. And your need is this. You are a sinner separated from God because of your sin. But then recognizing God's provision for your need, that he sent his son into the world to die and pay the full and satisfying price for the forgiveness of your sins so that you could put your faith in Jesus and receive that forgiveness and enter into the life that God describes in these verses and elsewhere in the Bible. And it's all there for the asking and the receiving. And there are going to be men and women and pastors up in front immediately after the service. And they'd love to pray with you to begin that relationship with God this morning. Again, all for the asking and receiving today. And this whole life is available to you to head into the great things that God has planned for you. Take advantage of the opportunity. Let's stand together and we'll pray.
Lord, we would either explode or implode or go crazy if we had a God like you, who you are, what you are, and what you bring to our life, Lord, if you did not couple with that an opportunity to give you praise and worship and thanks. Thank you for thinking of everything. And thank you, Lord, for how rich this life is with you. If there were nothing else but just to be saved and to worship you, Lord, we'd consider ourselves immeasurably rich. Thank you for the privilege of being able to bless you and to please you, Lord, with our worship. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Mike, would you close us?